You're listening to the Just Giants podcast with Grump and the Cranky Fan. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes and SoundCloud today. Welcome to Just Giants with Grump and the Cranky Fan, the most miserable podcast for the most miserable football team. I am your host, the Football Grump, and with me as always is Mike the Cranky Fan. With the first pick in the 2018 NFL Draft, your New York Football Giants select. Yikes. That was a legitimate uh, conversation that we had walking home from the game. Um, Or not walking home from the game, but... Eh, you know, we should we should have walked home from Tampa. Basically, Felt like we walked home. Yeah, good trip. All otherwise, though, you know, we uh, it's a different uh, perspective going to an away game than you know the comfy confines of MetLife Stadium. But uh, good hospitality, great seats. You know, probably what would you say, thirty five percent Giant fans, maybe thirty thirty five percent. Yeah, I'm not I'm not really sure. It's it's difficult to tell because they seem to be in spots. And certainly not where we were sitting too much. Yeah, I've been to games down there where the state, like the old Sombrero, where it was 75-80% Giant fans. And I think, you know, A, the Bucks are pretty decent now. B, the Giants are pretty crappy right now. So even the votes vocal Giant fans are going to be a little laid back. And then we had a torrential rainstorm from right about opening kickoff, kickoff through yeah. the first quarter. So that was pretty rough. Yeah, it, it it went straight from humidity for hours to raining buckets, um, which is pretty much what we had thought would happen. Yeah. So, um, to recap, uh, the Giants lost twenty five twenty three with a game ending field goal by Nick Folk. Tell us if you hear that story before. <laughs> yeah, you know that's two weeks in a row. But what really makes this one hurt is that I thought that the injuries to Tampa Bay and their team in general was well suited for the Giants to win and then on top of that Nick Folk is such a bad kicker he actually left seven points on the board that Tampa Bay was doing everything they could to give the Giants a win and they still couldn't come away with it I agree um you know I I think at times this team gets too aggressive and at times it gets too lackadaisical I mean I, I the first thing we can talk about is that going for it on fourth and four and what was at the second drive of the game I think it was very early. It was very early. Uh, you know, I get it that the offense started moving a little bit in the second half against Philly the week before, but all of a sudden, you know, McAdoo thinks we're this offense that can, you know, get chunks of yards whenever it wants. I thought it was pretty foolish and, uh, you know, kind of set an early tone for us getting into a pretty big hole early. Yeah, so we, we, had, we were in the stands both disagreeing with what was going on. He did confirm later on in the press conference that the field goal was right at the edge of where they were comfortable kicking given this, the uh, the weather, which it was it would have been a 47-yarder, which I can understand that. But as you pointed out, why not just pooch punt it and pin him? Yeah, this seemed like a game where field position might be you know, kind of critical. you know. And I would have, you know, early enough in the game, let's play some field position. You know, if we're uh, – we're not too sure about the offense or anything. Let, let, let's let's put Jameis in a position to make mistakes, a guy who does make mistakes a lot so and does turn the ball over. But, you know, we didn't lose the game because of that particular play. But I, don't, I just definitely think it's, it's one of those things you get worried about with McAdoo. Does he have too much on his plate to make decisions that are, you know, the most thoughtly and timed out ones where, you know, 
if he has his nose stuck in a playbook the whole time, is he have his full attention to things like that? Yeah, it's true. Even if you add in the missed field goal that Aldrich Grossis had later in the game, okay, so you're talking about a six extra points. It really should have been more than that. Um, it's a little bit difficult to point out where the problem was this week. Uh, I mean, it was pretty clearly that the defense was having trouble getting off the field in third down again, and they had no one to blame but themselves because the offense was actually doing pretty well, especially considering the offensive line mix-up. So it was reported just before the game that the the offensive line would consist from left to right of Eric Flowers, John Jerry, Weston Richburg, DJ Fluker, Justin Pugh. Um, that got even further shuffled up when Weston Richburg suffered a concussion right? Um, and Brett Jones came in. At a certain point, Justin Pugh had to come out for just a couple of plays, and Chad Wheeler went in. So it was a right. real, real mix-up all over the line, and the line was not too much to blame. I wouldn't put a single one of them as a star this week. I couldn't put a single one of them as a fart either. But the the lack of a running game is not entirely on them, but it is definitely partly on them. Yeah, I, I think the biggest problem with this game, I think, was giving up the big chunk plays on defense. And I think when Jameis got on a roll, there was nothing we can do about it. I mean, there were two drives where they scored. I think he was five for five and six for six, I think. So to me, I'm not blaming the offense as much. I mean, I think, you know, Eli is probably playing the best ball he has in three years. Uh, you know, a lot of drops, you know, Odell had a couple of drops. Marsh had a couple of drops. Um, you know, a wet condition, but, you know, we have to do a little research and see how many drops Beckham has had in the last three years. I think that number is starting to rise. It's starting to get into that Victor Cruz zone. I don't think it's that bad. Um, but at the same time, uh, Odell Beckham did suffer a dislocated finger in this game, uh, which is pretty gross to look at. But, you know, he, he continued to play. Uh, Olivier Vernon continued to play through the ankle injury until he was eventually forced out. Um, you know, it definitely seems like this team is not as good on defense without a pass rush. And I'm starting to think that the linebacking core's ability to cover is what's giving up these third down plays. It's not necessarily the tight end. It's just the zone formation. They're just not dropping back deep enough. We did see a couple of things. Uh, Paul Perkins went out with a rib injury. He had not so great day, uh, but again, not all his fault. I mean, like the first running play, Gerald McCoy blew him up seven yards in the backfield. There's nothing he can do about that. That's not on <laughs> him. Um, he did have one long run for 14, 15 yards, uh, I believe in the second half, perhaps the second quarter, but he ended up coming out and it forced Wayne Gallman in and he showed some promise uh again this is a small sample size for him he had only 11 rushes uh for 42 yards total he did have a catch out of the backfield also for a touchdown which is pretty great for him first game playing um but I mean it's a small sample size and he's behind the irregular offensive line so some of the credit probably has to go to the offensive line some of the credit might have to do with him and his ability to just one cut and go, and fresh legs. But I think I think also the fact that Eli threw fifty times too. It was almost like, you know, uh, they weren't expecting to run as much. It's almost like we kind of gave up on him, just let him run it. When he did, he was effective. So yeah, I mean that's sort of the point of the pass first, run second 
offense, right? I mean, it's you just line up and shotgun, and instead it's a dive play, and you have linemen dropping into coverage into zone, and now they're not yeah. doing what they do. Yeah, the play action run. You know, there were a couple of things that were good, though. I mean, Eli showed wheels, uh, and not only that, but awareness. I mean, he he truly navigated the pocket well, but then he also managed to scramble twice, once for uh, like a 15, 14-yard touchdown, which was pretty amazing to watch. We were in shock for about an hour after that, to be very honest. Yeah. I I heard myself screaming to just go, and I'm not really sure why I was thinking that, and then I proved to be right, so... (laughs) I think if you see any other quarterback in the league or in college who has half of a leg to run, that's an obvious call. You know, sure. run. <laughs> um, Not from a guy we've been watching since 2004 who has no mobility. It's really hard to call stars in this game. I'd have to call Eli a star in this game, though. He really was on point. He went 30 for 49 with about four drops, I would say. Uh, he went for 288 yards, two touchdowns, and he ran one in. Uh I mean, that's that's a pretty good game. Zero interceptions. And that's he, the biggest thing to me. Is he, the way he's cut that down this year has been has been fantastic for him. Because if you know if this team was giving up turnovers, we would be you know it'd be I don't know how it could be worse than zero and four after four games. But we would be. It's true. I don't know that we have any fumbles yet this year either. Lo- for, Once fumbles we've lost. lost, yeah. There were a lot of good things, and I think a lot of the things that were bad are starting to slowly improve. Uh, the running game looked a lot better. Um, I wouldn't count Eli's 22 yards as part of the running game, but I mean, you're looking at 42 yards for Wayne Gallman, 14 yards for Shane Vereen, 13 yards for Paul Perkins. It's definitely not good. The only reason it's noteworthy is because each week it's gotten better. Um, Brandon Marshall, again, you know, people are going to kill him for his drops, but he had two really big third down conversions. One was a fantastic catch on the sideline. The other one, he took a wide receiver screen and took out the one guy on him and made uh, three to four yards for the first down when we really needed it. He had a couple of drops also, but again, this was going from him getting no catches in week one, I don't think, to he only dropped the ball twice this week. And, you know, again, in slippery, shitty conditions that we thought would be the case. I think the biggest problem with this offense is it's too easy for defenses to take Beckham away by just playing too deep. There really needs to be a use of Evan Ingram down the seam. We haven't really seen too much of Ingram stretching the field. There's just too much of him running, you know, crossing routes and your typical tight end routes when this guy is a true mismatch. I mean, really, in my opinion, if you set Beckham and Ingram up on one side and you have one run a slant and go and the other one run, you know, a stop route and you just keep switching it back and forth, it, it kind of confuses the defense, makes the safety jump the wrong guy. I think having two legitimate weapons to stretch the field and using them that way is is how you get to exploit those talents. Yeah, I really didn't feel like this game was lost because of offense at all. You know, we're talking about, you know, encouraging signs. I think this played a, a very functional offense. I mean, the big thing to me was time of possession. Sure, and yeah. we, we own the game. You know, a bad offense does not control time of possession. I mean, we had... We did a good job with first downs. We did a good job controlling the clock. We did a good job moving the chains when we had to. So to me, this wasn't a game that was lost because we have no offense and complaining that, you know, oh, uh, McAdoo needs to give up the play calling because the play calling sucked or anything. I just think this was a game that lost because we didn't make big plays on defense when we needed to. 
And there certainly has been a marked decrease in the run defense since last year. And you made the point, like, maybe it has something to do with Jonathan Hankins. And, you know, that could be, I just think... I think they're running away from snacks. I think that's part of it. That's I think where it starts. Yeah, I think they're running away from snacks a little bit. I think they're also... The injury to Olivier Vernon is, is really killing this team. Uh, there's not a whole lot of pass rush presence without him. And quite frankly, he's really good against the run. And he's being washed out by by guys now because he simply can't put the same kind of drive into his one foot as he, you know, needs and, and to. I think, and I think a second problem is that the secondary isn't as good as last year. So if the, the passing game gets locked down because of a great secondary, it kind of softens up the defense, or the, off, uh, the run defense a little bit too. Yeah, there was, there was a strange decision to have Eli Apple on Mike Evans. And, you know, I had tweeted out before the game that, in my opinion – you put your best corner on their best guy. You force Deshaun Jackson to do what he does, which is just stretch the field. He's not that good over the middle. He can make the catch, but he's he's a small guy, and if he gets decked, he's going to go down. He he doesn't really like to do that. He will alligator arm his stuff. So what he really does is stretch the field. So in my opinion, you take your fastest guy, Eli Apple or Dominic rogers Marty, you place him on Deshaun Jackson, and you keep a safety over top for that. You know, you, and then you have Janoris Jenkins, who's a nice um, cover corner who who does well against the physical matchup like Des Bryant, and Mike Evans. You know, and you put them one on one, and they did. They started out at first. I noticed Janoris Jenkins was shadowing Mike Evans for about a series, and then they switched it up, and it was the other way around. That I don't know what the hell decision that was, but. Man, Jameis Winston picked apart Eli Apple. It's becoming a trend this year. It's not just Jameis Winston. It's uh, it's Matt Stafford, and it's you know, all these quarterbacks have been doing it. Yeah, Eli Apple is having a lot of trouble getting his head turned around, and I think that's entirely it. Because every time he's getting beat, he's not out of position. He's not lost. He doesn't understand. He doesn't have the foot speed. It's he's just simply not turning his head around while the ball is in the air. And I understand that that's probably much harder than I'll ever know. But it's, you know... That's why I have a cornerback coach to point these things out and teach technique. Yeah, and, and for what it's worth, he was beaten the end zone for a touchdown with Mike Evans where he didn't get his head around. But then later on, they went deep to Deshaun Jackson down the sideline, and he covered ground quick, got his hand in there, broke it up. It was beautiful. Mm-hmm. And it's... I don't want to say... The guy's got talent. Yeah, yeah, the guy's got talent. It's not like a question like we just have a complete... We don't have Elvis uh, Toast Patterson back there from 1991, but, you know... He just needs to get cleaned up on his on his technique. Yeah. Yeah, he's got all the raw abilities. He has the natural feel for it. He just is not getting his head around. He's not looking for the ball. And, you know, that's been sort of his problem with his pass interference too is simply that if he had just turned around, he'd be fine. Um, you know, I'm not sure what it is with this team. I, I really think that – Well, I got something for you, special teams. Well, that's definitely a part of it. I mean we got Brad Wing. His you know, second weekend was choked in the fourth quarter. We're getting nothing from kickoff and punt returns, and you know, and Rojas, you know, did miss that one field goal. Now, again, I'm not going to kill the guy. You know, kickers miss, but it all adds up to very poor special team play. Roger Lewis had a two steps forward, one step back moment where, on on one punt, he was the first guy down there, forced a um, 
a fair catch on the next play, was the first guy down there and tackled the guy immediately. And then on the next punt, ran himself all the way into the end zone and did not help Dwayne Harris at all in downing the ball, which was a really good punt by Brad Wing. Mm-hmm. And the, these missed opportunities, you know, it's not just the screw-ups on special teams. It's the, you know, the opportunities missed. To I mean, if right. you're putting Tampa Bay on the one-yard line, you're going to force Jameis the- Winston to go 99 yards. He's probably going to screw up. I think you you've hit the nail right on the head with this team. What the biggest problem is, and it's not, it's not talent. It's not you know turnovers. It's not incompetence. It's missed opportunities. You know, moving them from the, the one to the twenty is a huge game changer. You know, not kicking the field goal or, you know, not pooch punting in that first quarter. That changed the momentum of the game. It changed field position. Opportunities that were missed. Not opportunities necessarily to score points opportunities to flip the field and it's a lot of those things are happening where i don't know it's a combination of just bad luck bad execution and bad coaching yeah um i think at a certain point the uh the players are to blame for a lot of this i I know it's really easy to throw the blame on coaches and the gm because there's no way of proving it it's just, you know, it's it, there's nothing there's nothing that you can say in defense of it. You know, if Jerry Reese had addressed the offensive line, what does that mean? What does that mean? Uh, who does that mean? How is that possible? In what way would he do it? And nobody really has a true answer for that that's logistically possible. You know, like getting Joe Thomas is not a real what if scenario. Uh, you know, it's really easy to say, well, Ben McAdoo should have had another play. What play? You know, give me an example. I mean, there's a couple coaching decisions. Yes, I I will say that there is some blame to go around in all three phases, the GM, the coach, but it's mostly the players. I mean, there's a lot of times where the plays are called, the plays are right, and they can't execute. This offensive line can't execute. Um, I think there's there's problems even before we even get to game day where let's look at how this team was made and built. You know – Eli Manning is 36 years old now. They brought in a head coach last year, and even an offensive coordinator, you know, the year before that, that had no experience. You know, it's still a coach that's still learning as he's going, and you know, you're wasting the you know the twilight of Eli's career now with a guy that, you know, it's it's not like bringing in somebody like for a couple of years, like you know, a hired gun coach, like a a John Gruden did with the Bucks or something, you know. It, it, it makes everybody's life harder. And I, I think, you know, the play calling, eh, you can make some criticism about it, but really it's the fact that your head coach who's inexperienced and might be in over his head is spending a large amount of time with his nose in a playbook as opposed to absorbing everything that a head coach has to do during a game. So I think the, the fundamental problems with this team, I think, are more the way it's been built than, you know, each down, each series, each quarter, each game right now. Sure. Um, and I, I just don't think that – I, I know it's the natural reaction of every fan to lash out and look for wholesale changes, but this is a really talented team. Um, and again, this is not me being a homer. I, no team wants to face this team, no matter 0-4 or whatever. You know, our friends – we went down with that our Bucks fans were legitimately worried about this game and they should have been because this should have been the Giants game. They're just playing bad. 
I think good... there's a, I think this is a very skilled position, good team. I, I just think, you know, where their holes are glaring and they cause a lot of problems for everything else. I mean, I do not think this is a, you know, up the middle, this is not a good team and not a good talented team. And the more I see, you know, Western Richburg, you know, even before he gets hurt and stuff, the think is, no, he's gone from a real rising star to he's okay. You know, but, you know, he's surrounded by, you know, a right guard and, you know, makes your right tackle now. So, yeah, it looks good having a Beckham and, you know, Marshall's a name and, you know, are these running backs anything special? No. You know, tight ends? Well, you know, there's promise. I mean, Ingram's promise, but until he proves it in this league, you know, I, 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 I think, you know, on, on defense, yeah, Snacks is a stud. Uh, Janoris Jenkins, a name is a stud. But is it really, you know, great collection of talent? It's not 0-4 talent. It's also not 4-0 talent. Maybe not even 3-1 talent. I guess last year what I'm saying is, what did last year tell us? And I'm getting more and more confused. Was it just good luck against weaker teams or, you know, the, the ball bounce our way or, you know, what caused it? Um, and we had discussed this, and it, it's dawning on me now that, you know, they did address some of the issues that this team had last year. But the problems that they were unable to address, and I will say unable and not didn't address, like they have a choice to just fix everything all the time. The, I think maybe the overall change in talent on this team was not all that much, but the change in talent of the teams they were facing and of course also a brutal schedule. Let's not forget how tough these first couple weeks were in terms of you know the time of the game, where they were. I mean the Giants have only played what, one home game? They played one home game and they played three away games against teams that have most likely are going to be in the playoffs. But you know, so the same thing happened last year too. I mean if you remember if I'm off the top of my head I'm saying we played at Dallas Home against the Saints. Home against the Saints. Home at against Washington. Philly. Yeah, then at Philly, at Minnesota, at Green Bay. Right, but what you're talking about and now. And where were we? Two and three and limping really badly? Yes. The The beginning of the season did not start ideally for the Giants last year. But, you know, these were some of the things I said. They were also, you know, I think you said this was that close games can flip either way. And a lot of those wins were close games. Let's not forget just how bad. First of all, let's address how bad some of those teams were last year. Okay, Dallas is obviously a real contender last year. The Saints, awful. Um, the Eagles turned out to be awful. But Washington, not when we played them. Not in the, be- in the beginning of the year, they weren't. Remember, everyone was going apeshit about uh, Carson Wentz. Uh, but they were not. Right. They were at the time. They were a solid team. I, Maybe, We'd have to go back and look what the power ranking was. You know what they always come up with after each week. Yeah, but week. That, that's mostly hype. It's you know, it's. Eh. I think a lot of it had to do with they didn't really know how defenses didn't know how to handle Carson Wentz and how much he was going to be able to do right away. So he was putting up big numbers. But I mean, I certainly didn't feel afraid going into that game. And but but hey, I'm not I'm not all the way there yet. But uh, you know, Washington was not a good team. That was definitely a game that should have been won. Minnesota and Green Bay are granted, I will say Minnesota didn't end well, but at that time were unstoppable. We had no answer, and they were just playing in a brand new stadium on Monday night, I believe. So, I mean, that was just – that's brutal, and Green Bay, brutal. But just look back at those games. The Dallas game was won by 
either a field goal made by us at the end. No, no, no. It was a, it was, no, a, it was, it was, it was once they didn't go, go out, out of bounds. bounds. Yeah. Right. Right. So, I mean, there's that the saints game had no offensive touchdown by us. We won 10, seven with the touchdown being on a blocked field goal returned by Janoris mm-hmm. Jenkins right before the half. Um, so that was a horseshit game. We lost to Washington, which is a game we had no business losing. We beat Philadelphia, but again, as I said, I think a lot of that was just, you know, a rookie quarterback that defenses didn't know how to handle and was not going to fool Spags. And, you know, and then losses to Minnesota and Green Bay. I think overall this team was just facing worse teams last year and still only winning by a little. I think it's important to note the increase in difficulty in this schedule. I do still think that the Giants should have and could have won all four of their games this year. But they just simply have not played well enough to to do that. Yeah, but this team didn't get on a roll until later on in the season when this this schedule got easier. That's your point that I'm buying it. You well, know, that, but the that point is, is point. I mean, when yeah, I, when right I, now, right now, right now, we're at a pretty comparable level of schedule from the first four games as what we played last year, and we're seeing very similar results. I don't think it's comparable at all. So, what's our point right here? Our point is that you know we're at best a, a 500 team against really good. Um, Mid-level teams? I think that when I was predicting last year's record in confidence with you since we didn't have a podcast, and as I said, this right. team can go 12-4. and four. And the reason I said that is because I looked at the schedule. I knew I knew what the Giants could do. I, there were some obvious questions about what they were going to do, if Victor Cruz was even going to play, etc. But when I looked at the schedule, it was just so hard for me to see them losing some of those games. And I was like, this team definitely has the potential to win 12 games. And I was pretty close to right. I mean, they also did a lot better than I expected. They won some games I didn't expect. They also lost a couple of games I didn't expect. But at the end of the day, when I looked at the schedule this year, yeah, sure, we, we expected a jump. And maybe we're just not seeing the jump, and we're seeing the jump in difficulty. Right. Maybe and that's the meat, really what it is. And the meat of the schedule really hasn't come yet. I mean, it's, we no, still it's, to... it's coming now. You know, yeah. after the Chargers next week, I mean, it's it's going to get really tough for this team. And if they can't win next week, I mean – when I say this team is done, I mean this team as a confidence is done. This team could jump right to 0-7 or 0-8 if they lose next week. Easily. Um, so going into it, uh, this upcoming Sunday is the Giants will be at home hosting the Los Angeles Chargers, who are also a miserable team. They're 0-4. Um, you know, they've had some close chances, but when I look at the talent on both of these teams, it's hard for me to even compare. I mean, there, there's, there's a couple studs on, on the Chargers with Melvin uh, Ingram and Joey Bosa. I, I don't know. There's It's it's tough for me to name a lot of talent on that team. Philip Rivers. I mean, I... <laughs> I mean, you know, there's interesting cases can be made where, where these three guys are right now in their careers. You know, the that class of 03. Um, Only one of them hasn't won a Super Bowl, and the other one, the other two won two. Right, and I think you know people make an argument. Some people, I don't think they're correct, will make an argument that he was the better one of the three quarterbacks. I don't think it's true, but those are people who play fantasy. That's true. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I mean, Philip Rivers is no slouch. I'm not about to say that he's definitely a franchise quarterback who can put a team they on just, the back and win. They're just a team that just finds a way to lose every week, not being really bad. They just they're losers. I always like to say losers lose. Yeah, and for for those of you who think that this team is disorganized as a front office and Jerry Reese needs to go. The San Diego Chargers that Eli Manning refused to play for in 04, that's what a dysfunctional front office looks like. 
talent comes in, it leaves. They can't keep anybody there. They can't fill the stands. This is not what that looks like. Jerry Reese is not the biggest problem on this team. He's not that doesn't perfect. mean that doesn't mean a change isn't going to happen, though. Of course, but but you for know, those again, of you thinking it, that that's that's the answer is Jerry Reese's bad drafting, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Trust me, it's nothing compared to a lot of the teams in the league. Oh yeah, but we're we're comparing ourselves to uh, you know being better than the worst. That's still not acceptable enough. True, and and, and and this team is headed towards a three out of four years of losing ten games. Sure, and I understand the fans you know need to reach out for a solution, but. Sometimes it takes many small solutions to get to the answer and not just one big solution. And, you know, chopping the head off of a beast is a really, really drastic measure. Um, One of the stupidest things I read was, you know, how was the relationship with Dave Gettleman when he left? Is he an option to replace Jerry Reese? Well, I can tell you what the reaction was when he left Carolina. Everybody was happy. So, you know, this this idea of – how do we get good again does not mean reach into the past and find an answer. Well, that's it. That's a problem for fans is they know what they know. You know, they remember, you know, that coordinator we had 20 years ago. They remember the player we had, you know, and it's just like, you know, I'm sure there's people out there that would like to have Victor Cruz back on this team or, you know, some other giant that we've had that might be a free agent. Oh, bring him back. It's like just because you know something uncomfortable doesn't mean anything. Yeah, I mean, what so, did we hear walking back to the car? I wish Tom Coughlin were back. <sighs> yeah, I would do. I would do anything to take Tom Coughlin back. It's like a seventy-three-year-old guy that's past his prime, and you know, a team that was kind of on autopilot the last couple of years. I mean, if you don't like the fact that uh, you know um, Beckham does whatever he wants, I didn't seem ever seeing any discipline from him in his first year. From some of the crazy stuff that he was doing, even then. I don't know. I I guess it's it, it to decide for this giant team where do they want to be and are we building towards what that team is? And if we're not building towards what the mission what this team is trying to be, you make the changes. You know, that, I guess at the bottom line is, and I think it starts with you know, it starts with the head coach as well as the GM. You know, is this is, is this the head coach that they want to invest time, money? And, you know, potentially a GM over to say he has a vision that they believe in and they believe he has the tools to do it. I think that's very open-ended right now. Sure. I will say one thing in defense of Ben McAdoo. He's been berated since week one about what about doing this? Why didn't you do this? And have you considered stop calling plays? And why is the offensive line like this when you got this guy in the offseason? And are you, you know, why didn't you kick the field goal there? And But from week to week, he has said the same thing. We're going to evaluate it and we'll make changes as needed. And each week, believe it or not, there's been small changes each time. The fact that he is actually considering and making small consensus with his group of guys, his team, his coordinators, his coaches is important to me that he's willing to bend on that. Because since we're on the subject of Tom Coughlin, I mean, we said this when we heard that guy say that. Like, If Tom Coughlin were this coach, Wayne Gallman would not have played. They would have signed some guy off the street, maybe Rashad Jennings. You know, I mean, remember we had Peyton Hillis one time. I mean, yeah, they, they he would have signed anybody but a rookie to play. There'd be no rookies playing. Evan Ingram would probably not be playing, etc. I mean, that was something that needed to change for years and didn't change until he was legitimately on the hot seat. And I mean, really, they had his replacement on the staff. So. Mm-hmm. I'm not willing to step back to a guy who will not bend whatsoever on what he thinks is right. 
I think it's, you know, it's, again, we're 20 games, 21 games into his administration. You know, everything is too early to tell. Um, you kind of are what your record are is. So who knows if it's 11-5, 0-4, somewhere in the middle. Uh, do we think this guy is a genius? I don't know. I don't see anything that tells me there's something revolutionary like he's bringing to the table. You know, I, I don't feel like, uh, you know, Shanahan does coming to San Francisco like this guy has a plan, is ready to do his plan. Uh, you know, maybe he's just a middling coach that, you know, give him the talent can be successful. I, I don't know. I, I still think it's too early. I'm not overly impressed with him. I don't get that sense of confidence with him behind the helm. And I don't know, maybe it's just because of his physical, you know, what he looks like or just what, but it's just demeanor or just, you know, I don't know, perceptions a lot. And I have to wait and see. Yeah, I think it's too early to chop the head off of this beast. We'll see at the end of the season if it's still too early or if we see any improvement. But, you know, okay, so we can go into, you know, Next week, they're at home. This is a game they've got to win. They've got to win this game for themselves. There is something going in their favor. The NFC East sucks. No one is running away with this division. If anyone, it's the Eagles, and they barely beat this team. So keep in mind that this division is very much in flux. So You have a division with four, I would say, below average to average coaches at very best. Yeah. You know, you don't have a Bill Belichick in, in this group. Exactly. So... That that is going in the Giants' favor. They're clearly the seller of this division, but it's not beyond them to turn around enough to be competitive in this division. And once you're competitive, anything can happen. They're going to give their effort when they're out there. Nobody tanks on purpose in this league, yeah, or in any any professional league. For what it's worth, I didn't see any video clips of Odell Beckham throwing Gatorade canisters and yelling at coaches. Yeah. So. <laughs> Well, we will see you later on this week with an episode preview of next week's 1 o'clock matchup at home, Los Angeles Chargers at the Giants. Until then, feel free to grump as I grump on Twitter. You can follow me at football underscore grump and follow us for episode updates at, at just Giants Pod. And you can follow me on Twitter at the cranky fan. Um, you can also... Download this wonderful podcast on iTunes and on SoundCloud and be sure and give us a five-star review even if this team deserves zero stars. For real. All right, everyone. We will see you later in the week. Go Giants. Go Giants. Go Giants.